Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine is now approved for children between the ages of 5 and 11. And that makes more than 270,000 kids in Arkansas eligible to receive it. Now it's up to parents to decide whether or not to get their kids vaccinated, as recommended by a number of respected medical organizations. So what do parents want and need to know about the vaccine? We're going to talk about that today with an infectious disease physician and a mom of young kids on the Know the News podcast. Hi, I'm Rusty Turner. I'm the editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Vaccines started going into kids' arms on Thursday, but despite the extensive trials that have shown the vaccine to be safe and effective for that age group, some parents still have questions. We've got a story coming in this weekend's editions of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette to address some of those questions, and we're going to talk about it today. I'm joined today by Dr. Kay Arvaez. He's an infectious disease physician at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in Little Rock. Thanks for jumping on with us today. Thank you. Uh, we also have with us Kayla Jackson. She's a mom uh, of three, uh, an, ex- an expectant mom of a fourth from Salem Springs, and uh, she's already decided to get her kids vaccinated. So welcome to the conversation, Kayla. Hi. Thank you. All right. So I'm going to start with you, Dr. Vias. Um, some parents have voiced concerns about the safety of the vaccine and that it hasn't uh, been, it, it's, it's only been out for a few days. Um, so I'm wondering um, what you, what your uh, response is to parents who, who are still, who's still a little concerned. Sure. And it's um, certainly very natural for um, anybody and especially parents uh, to be concerned about something that may be considered um, new and um, you know, not sure how how much information is out there or how safe uh, a new vaccine or, or medication may be. But we do have um, a lot of information that's available. And so the approved the, the authorization for um, the Pfizer vaccine uh, for this age age um, range of kids age five to eleven really was based on a study that was done looking at, um, over 3,000 kids that um, got the vaccine and then um, a group of kids that uh, got a placebo and looking at um, how efficacious this um, vaccine was for that age group. And, and what it showed was that it was 91% protective um, against kids getting um, uh, COVID-19. And it was also found to be very safe um, in that age range and that the, the side effects were um, not any different than what we've seen in either the older um, uh, children, ages 12 to 17. Those those kids have been vaccinated um, since uh, June of this year. Um, and then also adults. Um, you know, adults have been vaccinated in large numbers since um, uh, middle of December. In fact, um, I got my first um, dose of the Pfizer vaccine as a healthcare worker in the middle of December. I'm about 11 months out from my first vaccine, um, as is much of my family. Um, I'm, I'm a parent as well. Uh, my 15-year-old son uh, got his vaccine on the first day that it was available in June. Um, and so we've um, been waiting um, as parents um, for this time that it was available for our, our 10-year-old. And um, so you know, there, we've got an appointment for her to get her vaccine as, as well. So um, I think that it's natural for people to be um, a, a little hesitant or to 
um, have questions or concerns, but we do um, have very good information on the safety of this vaccine and um, how effective um, it has been, certainly for older individuals um, and older children, but now also for this age range. Okay. Now, Kayla, you've already decided as well to have your, your children uh, get the vaccine. What was your thinking? Why, what led you to that decision? I have um, been in the medical field for over 10 years, and I have family members that are immune compromised. So I have a mother-in-law that has lupus. She was put in a coma for about two months, four years ago, so before COVID. And I, my father is an Oklahoma teacher who has opted to teach from home because of the pandemic because he's a retired um, Army vet and he has diabetes. So, so it doesn't sound like you had much hesitancy at all once the once the vaccine was approved. That that it was a not just for your kids' sake, but for the rest of your family uh, decision. What concerned me was the fact that it took longer for the eleven to five year old vaccine to get out than it did for the adult vaccine. Mm-hmm. So, and when you say concerned, you you were. Made you made you more hesitant to, uh, about the the shots vaccine, or just that you were concerned you wanted it sooner uh, to to uh, from from a protection standpoint. Well, it made me question about the adult vaccine that was currently out, is whether or not it was meeting the standards. If they're taking longer on the child vaccine, yeah. granted, I know it's children involved, but we were talking about elderly that was getting the vaccine first, and people that were already immune compromised. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Um, so, Dr. Veyas, the uh, the um, the the length of time it took to 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 get the vaccines out. Um, overall, it's been pretty fast uh, for vaccines. Is that correct? Um, yes. Um, you know, these vaccines were available. Um, you know, very very quickly by by standards of previous vaccines that were available. And I, and I could I would like to comment a little bit about that. Um, that's a source of, of concern for for many of the patients I've talked to and, and individuals out in the community. Um, you know, thinking that you know how could something like like this vaccine um, you know be developed that quickly? Um, how could it possibly have been? tested and how can we know that it's safe if it, if it came around, um, you know, with, with such speed. And, and I think that there's, there's several reasons that it became available, um, you know, so quickly. And the first is that this technology, the mRNA technology, um, has been under development for um, well over a decade. Um, you know, BioNTech, the, the company that's partnered with Pfizer, um, has been looking at this technology as a way of making, um, you know, better and faster flu vaccines for a long time. And so a lot of the baseline research on the, you know, these types of vaccines had already been um, occurring. Um, When it comes to coronaviruses uh, uh, in general, we also have a lot of experience and research and working with them. Um, You know, going back to 2003 during the first um, SARS virus um, outbreak uh, that that occurred, which um, sickened almost 10,000 people, uh, or, or killed almost 10,000 people worldwide. And so there was a lot of work on developing coronaviruses, 
coronavirus vaccines over the last 20 years. However, when you have a disease that um, goes away, uh, we've not seen any other cases after that outbreak of um, you know, SARS-1. Um, um, there's not a lot of um, funding um, that may be available to to develop these vac- you know, a vaccine for for an illness that's gone away. And so we have a lot of knowledge and information kind of on the on the shelf. And when it became apparent that this um, virus was going to cause, um, you know, cause really very severe uh, impact globally, you know, not just in you know people getting sick and dying, but also uh, you know economic impact and and um, and kind of impacting every aspect of our society. There was a lot of funding um, from you know, organizations, um, you know. Um, industry as well as governments and you know we know that when it comes to you know solving problems whether it's you know know, developing an atom bomb or putting a person on the moon you know when the u.s um you know gets involved in a in you know wholeheartedly and, and supports these endeavors you can really you know do very amazing things very quickly and so we had a lot of the underlying knowledge and then we had funding, and really we had a lot of researchers, both at universities and, and um, in um, companies like uh, you know Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson, that started working on this um, you know this problem of developing a, a safe and effective vaccine. Um, the other things that were put in place was you know normally when it comes to developing vaccines, um, the the way that things work is you, you know, test your candidates in, in animals, and then you do a small number of humans, um, then, you know, to see kind of what the response might be and whether it's safe. And then there's lots of steps that are involved, and those are done sort of one after another. Um, and, and you know, it can be, can be very time-consuming. Um, it's very methodical. Um, Unfortunately, when we talk about something like this pandemic, you know, we don't have the luxury of time. And um, what the what the government um, you know allowed was that some of those stages could be done in parallel. Now, I think it's important to realize that none of the safety measures were were, were um, compromised. There were no corners cut. There was no change in in kind of the regulatory aspect. Um, the safety monitoring aspect of any of these vaccines. But what they did was that they allowed, you know, the early animal studies to proceed. Then they allowed um, um, kind of combination of some of the earlier human phases um, to be done with, you know, larger numbers to to allow um, the, the development on a faster time scale. Um, the, the other um, thing was that the government paid for, for this um, development with the understanding that the manufacturers would begin to make this vaccine even before they knew um, 100% of the data. If, you know, if it didn't pan out, if it didn't work or was not safe, then the manufacturers would not have, you know, the, the economic risk of, of having to destroy, you know, a vaccine that they'd already produced. But the upside is that as soon as the studies showed that it was safe and effective, that we already had large supplies that we could be 
protect um, our, our population immediately. So all of those factors um, came in to allow the development and, and distribution of these vaccines very, very quickly. Um, but as, you know, in, in any um, setting, it's always um, a little bit more um, challenging and we always pause um, you know, longer when it comes to um, studying uh, new medications or new vaccines in children. And that's why it was, um, you know, uh, started in uh, in older adults, and we know that the you know the individuals that are elderly were at the highest risk of um, dying of this infection. And so, the initial studies focused on adults, um, and um, especially that elderly age range. And that's why those um, you know those studies, those initial participants, were um, being studied since. Um, since the summer of last year. They're more than a year out from getting the vaccine. And then once we had safety and efficacy data, that's when um, studying children and um, making sure the, that we had the right dose um, for, for kids, um, that can take a little bit longer. So, Kayla, I want to go back to you. Um... There, you know, there's lots of information out in the world uh, about vaccines, and some of it's good and some of it's not so good. Who did you rely on uh, as far as getting information about uh, about the vaccine and and, and uh, making your decision to go ahead and, and, and have your kids vaccinated? Oh, well, um, when the pandemic was taking place, I was working at a pediatric clinic um, in Salo, and I worked alongside an immunologist and allergist a family practitioner, and a pediatric doctor. And based off the information that they were getting, and they were getting from CDC, and they were directing us to get the information so we could properly educate our uh, patients and parents, I, I went with um, not only did I know that we already had the technology available to make uh, vaccines in general, but to make this particular vaccine for a while. So I didn't see it so much as a risk as in comparison to other vaccines that we currently are giving our infants and our children already, and we're making it mandated before them to even go to public schools to take. And I more lean towards the fact that it's more similar to the flu vaccine, being that it's got variants. And I think the last time um, I was in office, we were on a quad, which covers four different strands of the flu vaccine um, in the vaccine itself. And so I'm wondering if we're going to end up doing the same thing with COVID, having to add another vaccine every year. Um, is it because the, the vaccine is made to the protein um, or is it because it's made to the strand? I think that's a question a lot of people have is this, you know, is, is it a one-time vaccine or is it a vaccine like the flu vaccine that's going to have to be re renewed on a regular basis? Do you have any thoughts about that? I know the, uh, the MMR, we've almost eradicated that one out of the United States. MMR is measles, mumps, and rubella, yeah. but it made a comeback with people um, being anti-vaccine right. because they don't see the point in putting poison in their children. Um, that's not yeah. my opinion. That's just what I've heard. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Being that said, um, now we see more measles, and I've come across cases of mumps in uh, Arkansas, as a matter of fact, which we thought it was gone for sure. Yeah. 
So, Dr. Weiss, do you have, a, do you have any thoughts on that? Is, is, is the COVID-19 vaccine, is it going to have to be a recurring one, um, or do we just not know yet? So, I, th- I think it is a little bit early for us to be able to say, and it really depends on um, how quickly worldwide we can get the pandemic under control. Um, you know, viruses, you know, each virus is different. And so some viruses like the measles virus, they, they don't change very much. And um, so you can have a vaccine that is you know, substantially the same for the last 30 years and is very effective. Um, other viruses like influenza, because of the way that their um, genome um, is, is, you know, occurs, they they mutate very rapidly, and you can have big changes in the surface proteins, which is what our immune system recognizes. So even if you're vaccinated with pre against previous strains, sometimes we get strains that that people you know nobody has ever seen before, and um, that's why for flu we you know we tweak the the strains that are in the flu vaccine every year based on on various um, um, things that we look at um, that might be transmitting around the world. Um, coronaviruses um, can fall somewhere in the middle. And the more people that you have infected, um, the more chance there is for a mutation to arise that um, makes that surface protein just different enough that the immunity that your body has learned from the vaccine um, may not recognize that new strain. Now, up to this point, especially with the mRNA vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna, um, the, the various um, variants that have been identified um, across the world, um, what the um, CDC and WHO did call variants of uh, interest and variants of concern, um, they've, they've been um, very well covered by by these um, vaccines. And there's some data also that it's not just um, what we call antibody protection, but it's also the the other parts of the immune system that can recognize and can be trained by um, the vaccine to, to help fight off um, uh, if you were to come in contact with um, COVID-19. And so um, I think there's there's a good chance that that we may not need a different vaccine if we can um, get good uptake uh, among our population to to getting the vaccine, and so that we don't see a lot of people infected and a lot of opportunity for the virus to mutate. Um, but the good news is that with um, these this newer uh, mRNA technology, that it's much quicker and easier to be able to develop an effective vaccine, even compared to um, the, you know, the flu vaccine. So if there were a variant that came up that our current vaccine didn't cover um, as well, then it's, um, and we, we now have the, the technology and the know-how to be able to um, you know, produce a vaccine that, that likely would be effective. So I think our Obviously, our hope is that we get good control, you know, worldwide, so we don't see any more variants that might, you know, be more transmissible or more um, more severe as far as the illness they cause, um, or that evade our vaccine protection. Uh, there is a possibility, and it, and it all really develops on. It, it depends on how much um, 
you know, the, the virus is still hanging around and has the opportunity to mutate. Okay. All right. Well, there are vaccine clinics popping up all over the place. Uh, we, uh, our website at nwaonline.com has got a list of local vaccine clinics uh, that are already open and that are going to be uh, opening up and, and making the vaccine available. So, uh, Dr. Weiss, is there any concern about, uh, about supply um, now that the vaccine's available to, to these 270,000 kids um, uh, in Arkansas who, between the 5 and 11? Sure. I think, um, you know, all of us remember early on when it seemed like we couldn't um, get enough vaccine for, for our um, adult population that, that needed it. Um, that has, that is not much of an issue now. Um, the, the production of the vaccine seems to be um, very stable. There is enough supply in the United States. Um, as, as I mentioned, this is the, it's the same vaccine as for adults, but it is a um, lower dose. So it is about a third of the dose that, that an adult would get or an older child would get. And that's been shown to be just as effective um, and not have more side effects um, for this age range. So it does have to be um, packaged with a smaller syringe to make it um, easier to, to um, draw up. And so that's been um, what the government's been working on. Um, you know, the, the, the CDC and, and getting it distributed to state health departments. Um, and I know Dr. Romero at ADH had um, said that our first allotment across the state would be 110,000 um, doses, um, which uh, would cover um, about a third to a half of, of this age range across the state. So there really um, should not be a concern about supply. It's really just getting it in and getting it to the various clinics and hospitals and pharmacies that are gearing up to um, to administer this vaccine. Yeah. And Kayla, how quickly do you think you'll be able to um, uh, have your kids come in? Are you, have, you, have you already got an appointment? Oh, yeah. I already got them scheduled. Yeah. Okay. All three of them. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Including myself. Yeah. All right. That's all right. Okay. Well, uh, thank you both so much. Is there anything that we're missing? Is there anything either of you'd like to mention before we uh, before we wrap up today? Uh, I really would I like to say. Like... Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Kayla. I was just going to say, I really would like to say, I'm glad that the community has come together and shown support, especially for people on the front line. And I'm hoping that more people can step up for the supportive staff positions because everybody's hurting for jobs right now. And I think we see now that those jobs are just as essential as the ones that were during the shutdown. And Dr. Vias, anything you'd like to say before we wrap up? Oh, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly with what um, Kayla said. Um, in addition, I, you know, just like to encourage people that if they, um, you know, continue to have questions, if um, maybe there's they're hesitant to reach out to uh, their pediatrician, their family doctor, their pharmacist, you know, uh, really um, get good um, trusted information from, uh, from somebody who uh, really studies these um, things and, and, and uh, can give good factual information. You know, unfortunately, sometimes um, there's, especially with social media, it's really easy to come across something that, that looks like it's um, knowledgeable um, or correct, and, and it just may not be. Um, so, you know, use, uh, you know, use the expertise of, of your uh, 
physicians, your nurses, your um, pharmacists, you know, all of us are here to help and we'd love to be able to answer a question. Um, and um, I think what people will find is that, you know, the vast majority of us are, are um, just waiting for that appointment to, to get our own kids vaccinated. Um, you know, if we start now, um, we can get our kids full protection by the time um, the you know, the Christmas break and holidays roll around. And that's going to make for a much safer um, a holiday period when we can get together with family. Um, you know, and that's the other thing to keep in mind is that for our children that are getting um, their vaccine, you know, the first dose is great, but it's really that second dose that um, provides the full um, protection um, that teaches that immune system to really um, recognize um, the virus and, and fight it off. So it's it's really important to make sure that that, um, that everyone gets the, the second dose. And now is also a good time for for parents, grandparents, um, anybody that um, may not have gotten their vaccine yet. Um, there's plenty of supply all across the state in every community. Um, you know, now's the time. Go ahead and get your kids protected and, and get yourself protected too. Um, and if you still have questions, again, please reach out. We'll, we'll, all of us are happy to, to try and, and help answer those questions. Well, thank you both very much for, for a very, very informative conversation about vaccines for kids and vaccines for all of us. So I appreciate both of you very much. Um, my guests today have been Dr. Kayer Vias, an infectious disease physician from UAMS, and Hala Jackson, a mom and a nurse from Salem Springs, who's already decided to get her kids vaccinated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Be sure to check out Janelle Jessen's story about kids and vaccines in this weekend's editions of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette or at our website at nwaonline.com. Now, that's not all the great content we're going to have for you this weekend. Springdale plans to buy two older houses adjacent to the Jones Center for Families to make room for a new senior center. Lorenda Jinks will have all the details. Stacy Ryburn will tell us why the planning staff in Fayetteville wants the city council to grant more time to owners of short-term rental properties like B&Bs to apply for administrative permits. Estimates are there are more than 500 such locations in Fayetteville. Tracy Neal will tell us about efforts by a former Rogers police officer who has Tourette syndrome to get his job back after he used an inappropriate language during a training exercise. Mary Jordan will take a look at several local marching bands preparing for a big national competition in Indianapolis. Monica Brick will take us on a tour of the newly expanded Ronald McDonald House in the River Valley, which accommodates out-of-town families who have children receiving medical care. Check back with us in the morning to find out who's in and who's out of the state high school football playoffs. We'll have all the results from Northwest Arkansas and the River Valley at nwaonline.com. We'll also have coverage of the Razorbacks football game with Mississippi State. We'll have all the coverage you need at wholehogsports.com. If you're not a subscriber, don't miss out on any of this great content. Just hit the subscribe button on our website or call us at 479-684-5509. Again, that number is 479-684-5509. If you like our weekly podcast, please subscribe. All you have to do is hit the subscribe button on your device right now. We'll be back next week with another edition of Know the News. I'm Rusty Turner saying so long.